Hello and welcome to episode three of Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I am your host, Daniel Torridon, and this time I will be trying to get to grips with Russell's failed predictions and answer the question, was Charles Taze Russell a false prophet? So, in 2004, at the age of 34, I began to read the six volumes of studies in the scriptures uh, by Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Watchtower organization, as well as the seventh volume, The Finished Mystery, which was dubiously attributed to Charles Taze Russell posthumously. My aim was to find out why Jehovah's Witnesses believed the things we did. I wanted to know the origins of Watchtower doctrines and how the teachings crystallized over the years. Uh, In particular, I wanted to learn about the Watchtower's early predictions for 1914. The first volume of Studies in the Scriptures, entitled The Divine Plan of the Ages, published in 1886, presented interpretations of fundamental Bible topics associated with God's plan of salvation. Followed by Volume 2, The Time is at Hand, released Three years later, this was an interpretation of biblical chronology, keys to time prophecies, uh, the second advent of Christ, and the identification of the Antichrist. Thy Kingdom Come, published in 1891. This was interesting. This one described biblical prophecies in further detail along with the fate of Israel and information on the Great Pyramid of Giza. Russell's claim being that the pyramid had been built under God's direction. The section on pyramidology was influenced by the theories of Charles Piazzi Smythe who also helped to review the book. Uh, The fourth volume, entitled The Day of Vengeance, later renamed The Battle of Armageddon, discussed the forthcoming dissolution of the world order with the biblical remedy as God's kingdom. And at number five was The Atonement, or At-One-Ment, as it was written, Between God and Man, written in 1899 and discussing the nature of humanity, the work of redemption and the Holy Spirit. Finally, and I say finally because I only count the first six volumes as being Russell's work, there was The New Creation, uh, published in 1904, this volume discussed the seven creative days found in Genesis and the duties and personal responsibilities of a Christian. So the seventh volume, released after Russell's death, was 
quite frankly rubbish and it was barely worth reading uh it was advertised as a commentary on ezekiel and revelation and i think some parts of the song of solomon uh given to uh, the Bible students by Russell, presumably from beyond the grave. Hmm. In fact, it was just a collection of some of his study notes strung together by Clayton Woodworth and George Fisher, two of Russell's associates, and edited notably by Russell's uh, successor, J.F. Rutherford. More about him next time. Okay, so as I read studies in the scriptures and early copies of the Watchtower magazine written by Russell, I was surprised to find that Jehovah's Witnesses, originally known as Bible students, initially believed that Jesus' second presence began not in 1914, as they do now, but in 1874. I'd always thought that Russell had predicted Jesus' presence and associated events in advance of 1914, but a close examination of the older Watchtower publications revealed this to not be the case. From its very inception in 1879, the Watchtower magazine and Russell's Studies in the Scriptures books taught that Jesus' second presence had begun in 1874, a date I discovered had been inherited from the Millerite and Adventist movements. Now, while this information was available to curious Jehovah's Witnesses of my era, it wasn't obvious in the publications. Uh, the Watchtower Publications Index contained only one reference to 1874, that being the book Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom. I'd clearly never assimilated that information, and as it would turn out to be the case, neither had many other witnesses. Prior to 1986, there were only a few references to 1874. Uh, these included the Watchtower magazines, uh, 1955 and 1974. Uh, there was a 70s book entitled God's Kingdom of a Thousand Years Has Approached. And then there was the 1975 yearbook of Jehovah's Witnesses that made a brief reference to 1874. So all of these publications predated my baptism and in the case of the 1955 Watchtower, even my birth, um, there was nothing current discussing the 1874 date. It was almost as though the organisation wanted us to forget the early predictions or at least not have them highlighted. Asking around my witness friends what they thought the early Bible students had believed confirmed my suspicion that 1874 was not common knowledge. In every case, my friends thought the Bible students had predicted Christ's 
presence would begin in 1914 and even that they had prophesied the start of the First World War in advance. They were as surprised as me to find that that simply was not the case. Uh, they also felt uncomfortable, I think, with the information I was presenting as if it was something we shouldn't know about, which started me wondering why. 1874 was virtually unheard of by 21st century Jehovah's Witnesses. Certainly none of those I spoke to had even heard of uh, studies in the scriptures, let alone read them. Uh, most had never read any of the older Watchtower books or magazines, and their general response was that anything over 20 years old was old light and served no purpose. But I was certain that there was much to learn from the older publications, and so I started digging. I uh, wanted to know why Russell had adopted 1874 for the start of Jesus' presence, and why it had been later changed to 1914. What I discovered shocked me to the core. My search for answers began by learning about William Miller, now, Miller was an American Baptist preacher who believed that 6,000 years of human existence on earth ended in 1842 and that the seventh millennium, the thousand-year reign of Jesus, began in 1844. He'd predicted in advance Jesus' second advent would occur visibly on the earth in 1843 or 1844. Uh, thousands of people believed him and they sold their possessions to follow him. Unfortunately for them, 1844 came and went with no sign of Jesus. So after what was dubbed the Great Disappointment, most Millerites abandoned their beliefs, but others formed various breakaway groups uh, collectively known as Second Adventists. And it was from the Second Adventist movement that Russell's Bible students later emerged. The majority of Second Adventists gave up believing in any significance for 1844, yet they remained expectant of the second coming of Jesus. Of those groups who retained the 1844 date, some maintained that Jesus had indeed returned, except not literally, uh, just as modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses, they preached that Jesus' presence was spiritual and therefore invisible. Meanwhile, other Adventists began to express the opinion that 1873 and later 1874 would mark the return of Christ to the earth, and much like the original prediction that this would be a visible presence, uh, strikingly noticeable in nature. Now, one such person was an Adventist writer and publisher called Nelson H. Barber, who was previously a Millerite. He'd lived through the Great Disappointment. When 1874 also passed, again, with no visible evidence of Christ's second coming, Barber capitulated and adopted the spiritual interpretation, concluding that Christ had indeed returned in 1874, 
but had done so invisibly. Uh, such a belief was obviously unfalsifiable. Writing in his journal, the Herald of the Morning, in 1875, Barber promulgated a number of other dates as having special significance. In addition to 1874 being Christ's invisible advent, he proposed that 1878 would mark the end of the gospel harvest, uh, concluding with the rapture of anointed Christians to heaven. This claim was much bolder and totally falsifiable since it would be plain to see if he and his followers were suddenly whisked off to heaven. But Barber seemed undeterred. His predictions became bolder still, asserting in his magazine uh, The Herald of the Morning that 40 years from 1874 to 1914 were a time of distress, the Great Tribulation during which all Gentile kingdoms would soon cease to exist, paving the way for the installation of God's kingdom on earth in 1915. Now, enter Charles Taze Russell. He became associated with Barber in 1876, and despite earlier misgivings of Adventist chronology, Russell accepted Barber's interpretations. Uh, The following year, Russell provided Barber with funds to write the book Three Worlds and the Harvest of This World and also to restart publication of the Herald of the Morning magazine after it had stopped being printed due to financial issues. Although Three Worlds bore the names of both Barber and Russell as publishers, the book was written entirely by Barber. Uh, Russell simply sought to use Three Worlds and the Herald of the Morning to combine Barber's teachings on chronology with his own ideas and uh, he did that by becoming a writer and an editor for Barber's The Herald magazine. Barber then published a short booklet written by Russell entitled The Object and Manner of Our Lord's Return in which Russell stated, We believe the scriptures to teach that at his coming and for a time after he has come, he, that's Jesus, will remain invisible, afterward manifesting or showing himself in judgments and various forms so that every eye shall see him. I managed to source copies of Three Worlds and the Object and Manner of Our Lord's Return, on eBay, no less, and devoured them. In addition to proclaiming that Christ's return had occurred already invisibly in 1874, I learned that Barber and Russell had intrepidly predicted that the Christian saints, the anointed, would be raptured in 1878, and then that the day of wrath, Armageddon, would be all over and done with by the end of 1914, marking the end of the Great Tribulation. Now, make a mental note of that. Russell predicted that Armageddon would be finished by 1914. When the rapture didn't occur in 1878, Russell proposed that it would take place three and a half years later in 1881. 
In the meantime, he's split from Barber and the Herald due to doctrinal differences about Jesus' ransom. Then Russell began publishing his own journal, Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence, renamed The Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence in 1909, in which he continued to preach that Jesus' second advent had begun invisibly in 1874, that the rapture would occur in 1881, and that Armageddon would have come and gone by 1914. It was clear from my research that Miller and Barber had predicted things that had not occurred. Uh, Miller died in 1849, still expecting the return of Christ any minute. Barber had foretold the rapture for 1878, but was found wanting. In both cases, I wondered, could it be said that they prophesied falsely? Were Miller and Barber false prophets? And what could be said for Russell's predictions? He'd already messed up on the prediction about the rapture. Were his thoughts about Armageddon occurring by 1914 going to prove any more reliable? Was Russell a false prophet? Well, turning to the Bible for my answer, I looked up the word prophet and I read at Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 to 22. However, the prophet who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. And in case you should say in your heart, how shall we know the word that Jehovah has not spoken? When the prophet speaks in the name of Jehovah and the word does not occur or come true, that is the word that Jehovah did not speak. With presumptuousness, the prophet spoke it. You must not get frightened at him. The Bible's definition there was clear to me. Any person who prophesies in the name of Jehovah or the Lord, according to the King James Version, is a false prophet if his prophecy does not occur or come true. Were Miller and Barber guilty of false prophesying? It seemed to me that they were, but what did the Watchtower have to say on the matter? I soon found a 1993 awake. Um, entitled Why So Many False Alarms, in which reference was made to the story of the boy who cried wolf. The article acknowledged, So it has become with those who proclaim the end of the world. Down through the centuries since Jesus' day, so many unfulfilled predictions have been made that many no longer take them seriously. This article then went on to list a number of unfulfilled predictions including the claim by Pope Gregory I in the 6th century that the end of the present world is already near and that the unending kingdom of the saints is approaching. Also, Martin Luther's 16th century claim that the day of judgment is just around the corner. And then there was the Anabaptists' belief that Christ's thousand-year reign over the earth would occur in, get this, 
Awake then raised the question, does the failure of such predictions to come true convict as false prophets those who made them within the meaning of Deuteronomy? Now one would imagine, would they not, that the Watchtower's answer would be a resounding yes, but staggeringly the article concluded that the Catholic Pope, the Lutheran Church and the Anabaptists were not guilty of false prophesying because, and I quote, they were sincerely convinced and they did not claim that their predictions were direct revelations from God. Now, these men may have been sincere, but Deuteronomy speaks nothing to a prophet's sense of self-belief. The definition of a false prophet is one who delivers a false prophecy. Simple. Motive is not the determinant as to whether or not they are a false prophet. Moreover, how on earth could it be argued that Pope Gregory I, commonly known as uh, Saint Gregory the Great, was not presuming to speak for God? He was the Pope, for goodness sake. He may not have prefixed every utterance with the words God says, but when speaking his predictions, who the hell did he think he was speaking for? Why was the awake shielding these men from a charge of false prophesying? It surprised me that the Watchtower would even give these three religions, deemed by them to be part of Babylon the Great, the empire of false religion, a free pass. But it soon became clear to me why they would. The Awake magazine next went on to mention our friend, uh, William Miller, remember him? Miller, it wrote, generally credited with founding the Adventist Church, is quoted as saying, I am fully convinced that sometime between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844, according to the Jewish mode of computation of time, Christ will come. Uh, fair enough, he did say that, and he was indeed wrong. Yet no mention is here made of Miller's prophecies as being the foundation on which Barber and later Russell built their chronology. So why mention Miller? Well, it all becomes clear when, having established that a promulgator of failed predictions is not necessarily a false prophet, uh, the article then went on to defend Miller and others as being sincere thus deflecting attention away from the fact that his predictions were completely erroneous. As to Gregory, uh, Luther and Miller claiming to speak for Jehovah, this was noticeably glossed over in uh, readiness for the awake to go on to defend the Bible students and Jehovah's Witnesses from a charge of false prophesying, and that they did. In a footnote in the awake article, they explain Jehovah's Witnesses, in their eagerness for Jesus' second coming, have suggested dates that turned out to be incorrect. It then argued that they'd never claimed prophet status. Interesting. While it's true that the Watchtower has denied being a prophet on a number of occasions, it's also claimed on other occasions that Jehovah's Witnesses, as a people, are a prophet. So... I guess if you say one thing and then say the complete opposite, you can claim anything as being true. A classic example there of double speak. 
The Watchtower, April 1st, 1972, carried an article, They Shall Know That a Prophet Was Among Them. Now, despite previously defending the likes of Pope Gregory I and Martin Luther, this article denounces the clergy of Christendom for holding themselves before the people as being the ones commissioned to speak for God. Oh, the irony. It then went on to state that God does have a modern-day prophet. It says, Not one man, but a body of men and women, the small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known as international Bible students. Today, it concluded they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. So I had it in print in front of me, the watchtower claiming quite clearly that Jehovah's Witnesses were God's prophet. The article then posed a damning question. It said, uh, of course, it's easy to say that this group acts as a prophet of God. It is another thing to prove it. The only way that this can be done is to review the record. And it asked, what does the record show? Indeed, what does it show? Let's review the record and see. Jehovah's Witnesses may be sincere, but is it true that never did they presume to originate predictions in the name of Jehovah? Uh, never did they say these are the words of Jehovah. And were end time dates published by the Watchtower presented as mere suggestions or rather as concrete truths? Among Russell's dates were 1799, the start of the last days inherited from the Adventist movement, um, 1878, the enthronement of Jesus as King in the heavens, and then 1914, the end of the Gentile times. Uh, the 1914 date was especially of keen interest to Bible students in the 1800s, since Russell was predicting for 1914 the overthrow of Satan's world at Armageddon and the full establishment of Christ's rulership over the earth by the end of the year. Regarding the last days and the beginning of Christ's invisible presence, Russell didn't merely suggest his chronology to be accurate, but stated the indisputable facts show that the time of the end began in 1799 and that the Lord's second presence began in 1874. That was from a watchtower from March the 1st, 1922. Zion's watchtower, way back in 1894, had already taken things a step further than that, explaining why the chronology presented should be considered indisputable facts. It stated, we see no reason for changing the figures, nor could we change them if we would. They are, we believe, God's dates, not ours. But bear in mind that the end of 1914 is not the date for the beginning, but for the end of the time of trouble. So now I had proof. The Watchtower had not only claimed that the Watchtower organisation, headed by Russell at the time, uh, was God's prophet, but also that the predictions published 
were from God himself. Writing in 1882 in Zion's Watchtower, Russell admitted in regards to Jesus' return in 1874 that there was little or no outward signs of any such stupendous event and that it required implicit faith to believe that these things were to be fulfilled. Nevertheless, he continued to present his chronology as being of divine origin. Anyone who pointed out the absence of any clear evidence for the return of Christ in 1874 and the unlikelihood of 1914 seeing the end were labelled as scoffers walking after their own desires who sneeringly ask where is this promise of his presence. All things continue as they are. Despite the lack of visible evidence proving that Jesus had returned in 1874, the Watchtower continued on predicting that 1914 would be an important date. And in October of that year, Russell announced to the Bethel family at breakfast that the Gentile times had ended. Uh, By that time, the Great War had been raging for several months. But so what? Everything, and I mean everything, that Russell had specifically prophesied for that year, including Armageddon and the rapture of the saints, had simply failed to materialise. There was nothing anyone could point to that could demonstrably prove that the Gentile times had or hadn't ended. It was, it was all invisible, requiring implicit faith, as Russell said. This realisation came as a shock to me because I had always thought that the Bible students predicted not just Christ's invisible presence, but the actual start of the very visible Great War many years in advance. Certainly, that's what the Watchtower publications of my era insinuated. In reality, Russell and the Bible students predicted nothing of the sort, and what they did predict never occurred. After Armageddon failed to materialise in 1914, the only prophecy supposedly fulfilled was the end of the Gentile times. But even this didn't stack up. Uh, Rather than seeing a termination of Gentile power on earth, 1914-1918 witnessed the Gentile nations flexing their authority like never before as they engaged in the greatest war the world had ever seen. Yet, even then, this did not result in Armageddon, despite the Bible students preaching that Christ had been present for over 40 years by this point. Even after his death in 1916, Russell's 1874-1914 chronology continued to be promoted by Watchtower. Um, In 1922, his end time dates were declared to be of divine origin and divinely corroborated in a class by itself, absolutely and unqualifiedly correct. Uh, Furthermore, repudiation of Russell's teachings was described in the Watchtower as equivalent to a repudiation of the Lord. 
I was surprised to find upon further digging that all the way up to as late as 1930, the Watchtower was still teaching that the last days had begun in 1799 and Christ's invisible presence had begun in 1874. Now, that's not what most Jehovah's Witnesses think was the case. Nevertheless, the Watchtower of 1993 unashamedly claimed the Watchtower has consistently presented evidence that Jesus' presence in heavenly kingdom power began in 1914. Can you believe that? They actually had the audacity to claim that the Watchtower had predicted 1914 as Jesus' presence all along and consistently so. No, they didn't. If there was any truth at all in that statement, it was only insofar as the Watchtower, one word, was originally called Zion's Watchtower, two words, and then just the Watchtower, still two words. They only settled on the Watchtower, one word, in 1931. So the Watchtower, one word, post-1931, may have consistently claimed that Jesus' presence began in 1914, but previous iterations of the magazine had done nothing of the sort. As for the events anticipated for 1914, Russell had predicted not the start of World War I, uh, but the end of Satan's world at the Battle of Armageddon. He'd said of 1914 that it was not the date for the beginning, but for the end of the time of trouble. However, when Armageddon failed to emerge from the Great War of 1914-18, the war came to be reinterpreted by Russell's successor as the start of the Great Tribulation, uh, despite the earlier warnings that repudiation of Russell's teachings would be equivalent to a repudiation of the Lord God himself. So once again, Watchtower pulled the spiritual card declaring that Satan's world had indeed ended in 1914 in a legal sense and it was just a matter of time before the Great Tribulation would resume with Armageddon. So basically, if a prediction didn't come true, they just changed the narrative and set a new prediction. And folks, that is what Jehovah's Witnesses have been doing now for the past 100 plus years and they continue to do so. Towards the end of his life, Charles Taze Russell began predicting that 1918 would see the rapture. Uh, He died in 1916 on a train during a pastoral tour of the United States and like Miller and Barber before him, Russell never got to see Armageddon. He'd spoken God's dates, indisputable facts of divine origin and divinely corroborated, but none of his prophecies had come true. All things considered, I had to conclude that Russell, like all of those before him, however sincere, had proved to be a false prophet. 
as always thank you for listening join me next time when i tell you about my discovery of the most ridiculous prediction ever <laughs>